Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devinder Hardwar. Jeff Kanata. And joining us today, you've seen her work all around the internet, including at Pajiba.com. She's also appeared recently several times on the Slash Filmcast. Christy Puchko, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing today, Christy? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Great to have you on. This is the first time you and I have actually shared the show and uh, really excited and, and grateful to you for, for subbing in for me a bunch of times while I was out these last few months. So uh, welcome back. And we're, we're so glad to have Christy on because today all we're going to be discussing is Charlie Brooker's series Black Mirror Season 4, which just hit Netflix. Before we get to that, I want to mention a few things. First of all, you can find more episodes of the podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And since we're just doing Black Mirror for the rest of the show, uh, I want to thank all of our donors up front today. Uh, a big thanks to Chas from Colorado, who gives a shout-out to his friend Tyrone in San Antonio. He says, quote, We have spent hundreds of hours together driving three hours a day, and Slash Filmcast was a huge part of that. Dave, Devinger, Jeff, and the former Quiggles, thank you. End quote. Uh, thanks. That's a that's a long commute between Colorado and San Antonio. These guys just driving back <laughs> yeah. and forth to hang out with each other. Pretty intense. Uh, pretty intense. Thanks also to Douglas Phelan and Gavin Griffin for their very generous donations. Uh, thanks to Daniel Vote, Stephen Porcello, Nathan Stark, Christopher Calla, and Melissa Flink for subscribing uh, every month and donating a little bit every month. If you want to uh, support the show, go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Uh, and you can contribute and help us defray the cost of putting on this show. And All we're right. willing to do long-distance dedications, yeah, evidently. Yeah, we are yeah. willing to do long-distance dedications. <laughs> Very good. Uh, and so, anyway, let's get into Black Mirror. Now, here's the thing, guys. Black Mirror, season four, debuted on Netflix. I watched the entire thing in less than 24 hours. It was a That's very crazy. intense day. healthy. Okay. Uh, I did too, actually. Yeah, it was, wow. it's very, it's very bingeable. It's because I, I think there is this kind of joy, this pleasure in finding out what the premise of every episode is. So yeah, we yeah, will, yeah. we will yeah. for this earlier part of uh, this podcast episode, we will not uh, spoil any premises of the show. But uh, I remember last season when we tried to review Black Mirror as our main review, I mean, there were six episodes. And so uh, if you, you only have like a few minutes to talk about yeah. each episode, it doesn't work and out. And one so was the, like movie length too. So. <laughs> yeah. So we're like devoting the entire episode, this episode of the podcast, to Black Mirror. It is, uh, it is that important of a work that we feel like uh, we want to discuss it in depth. Uh, and so let's get into it. Looking around at a world of injustice and tolerance and huge environmental challenges. It's hard to imagine a bright future, but we can, and we must. Anyone? Hello? Must have been mental before the system. Nothing is gonna happen. You're gonna be fine. Where am I? Hip hip hooray! A sunnier future. Turn it off. How long can happiness realistically last, anyhow? Why don't we talk about overall reactions? Did you find this to be still a uh, worthy entry in this series? What has been your relationship to this show in the past? Christy, let's start with you. Are, are you a Black Mirror fan, and uh, did this continue that trend, or were you not really a fan, and this was kind of a slog for you? I've always liked this show. Like, I mean, I'm, I tend to tell people if they're getting into it for the first time not to watch the very first episode first because I feel like <laughs> it's very jarring 
I like the first episode, but it's a yeah. lot. Um, but yeah, I thought the season was overall really good. And I think it's really interesting how, since it's gone to Netflix, Charlie Brooker has been kind of exploring different types of stories. And I think on occasion, more American quote unquote stories. And I think he does a hell of a job with that. Um, there, I think the show is still witty and really interesting. And I think it still asks really comp- compelling questions about humanity and technology colliding. Devendra, you, you still a fan of this this season of the show? Almost definitely. I think it's a really strong season. And in some ways, I think I even like it more than the last one. Uh, but I did write a little thing for Engadget about um, yeah, what was really brilliant about the show is that they kind of predicted so many things, right? They kind of predicted um, even, like, I think most presciently, right, the rise of a politician who was basically elected by social media, right? Or who mm-hmm. used social media and, like, a quirky personality to get himself to an interesting spot. Um, well, I believe yeah, in I, the show it was an actual cartoon character mm-hmm. that got Yeah, uh, it was an actual elected, cartoon character, yeah. but he was literally a reality show character, yeah. too. Yep. So, just like an offbeat reality show character almost got elected to office in the show, and then, uh, you know, look what happened. Uh, I do feel like we're beginning to see maybe the... Uh, uh, the cracks are beginning to show in terms of how he structures stories sometimes. And I do think like some ideas like uh, digital consciousness um, or how these systems are controlling us, you know, we, we, we want something to help us live our lives and they end up controlling our lives. And I feel like some of those themes get, you know, we've seen that so many times. Um, so hopefully uh, moving forward, they can, I'm, I'm hoping he can explore some more stories either by getting more writers involved uh, because most of the show has been just Charlie Brooker. And, you know, for better or worse, like he's had some great stuff like San Junipero. Uh, but I also liked some of his more collaborative stuff like Nosedive from last year. He he did the story, but Rushita Jones and Mike Schur did the teleplay. Um, uh, there was another one. There's one more episode, I think, from season one. Uh, yeah, the entire history of you was written by Jesse Armstrong. And that is a great memorable my, episode it's my favorite episode in yeah. the entire series yeah to date. Great, great episode. it's so good so i'm hoping he just uh you know to move forward he opens up the writing room a little bit and what i'd really be interested in is following like maybe let's see how we get to one of these crazy you know dystopian societies let's see the structural uh you know build up of that rather than plop us into that and try to tell a, a very similar story to what he's told before uh so Black Mirror and the episodes and their their premises have gotten so uh, kind of of a type that uh-huh. people have started parodying Black Mirror. It's not it's not too difficult to parody Black Mirror, you know. Um, so much so that like a lot of parodies have gone viral uh, in the last few weeks as this show has been out, and and people have just started commenting on how sometimes simplistic the show can be. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was actually able to find one of these parodies. Uh, that is, is a list of season four plot lines, uh, but written with an extremely heavy, I, th- I want to say British accent, uh, but I'm not 100% sure. Cockney. Uh, Cockney, yeah. Um, yeah. And Jeff Kanata has graciously offered to perform this oh, wow. list of plot summaries for season four live on the air on the Slash <laughs> Let's get ready to defend an entire yeah, country. I kind of want to hear I kind of want to hear Jeff Kanata's Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So Jeff, you want to take us through the uh, episodes for season 4 with your best accent? Yes, uh, episode 1. Cool, blimey. What if Facebook likes were the only thing to earn a quid? <laughs> that's pretty good, Jeff. Pretty episode good. Episode 2. <laughs> me blotty computer tried to kill me. What a right corker. 
Episode 3. There's an app that can download you. Well, that's scary, isn't it, bruv? (laughs) 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 Episode 4. Me new missus is an android, and I ain't bothered. This is turning to a season of Black Mirror where I can uh, just predict where these things are going to go. Yeah. And episode five. That cheeky governor's got a pick of me bullocks through me webcam. <laughs> well, Jeff, uh, I really, really appreciate you uh, doing that for us. Um, I like how much Dave enjoys this. Yeah, no, no, I definitely <laughs> enjoy that way too much. Um, yeah, I'll have to definitely consider whether we put that in the final episode. But wow. uh, <laughs> oh. this is not good. No, no, this no, no. Good. You're, you're like, awesome, Jeff. I you're would awesome. like. I would like to say, on the record, whether or not Dave edits it out, he he not only he not only presented this as like I begged to do the performance when yep, he yep. like oh, oh. texted me and was like, "Hey Jeff, would you be willing to do this? I I found this. I think it'll be really funny. Would you be willing to do it?" And then he presents it like, "Well, Jeff Kanata really wanted to give us a performance, so I guess I'll let him do it." And then halfway through, he's like, "Eh, maybe we're not even going to use this for the show." <laughs> Uh, no, I did not mean to uh, mean to imply that you were the one that originated the idea. Certainly, shift blame, shift blame. certainly it was all That's me. All. Certainly it was all me. I take full responsibility. I, I remember um, seeing this list and like, yeah, one or two, they're, they're funny. I was like, okay, I, I get it. Uh, I see what you're doing. Here. You, you <laughs> black mirrored yourself by becoming parody of yourself, parody list. Weird that there's only five episodes, though. Yeah, that is that is a little odd. Whoever made this viral list that I found on Tumblr... Really didn't put too much thought into it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But Jeff Kanata, your overall thoughts on Black Mirror Season 4? Well, it was right beautiful, <laughs> wasn't it? No, I'm going to do the whole show oh, like that now. Oh, um, Jim Jiminy, Now Jim, we have Jiminy, to leave the other Jim, stuff in or this makes no sense. Uh, <laughs> that's how I do it. That's how I get him to keep it in. Um, <laughs> uh, I, love, I love Black Mirror. Um, and, you know, I've heard Charlie Booker has described putting together the show almost like, or putting together the, the ordering number, like he's building an album, you know? And I really do think this is, you know, I'm a huge fan of Prince. I don't love every song on every Prince album, but I love every Prince album. And if you asked me to compile uh, my favorite Prince songs, I'd pluck some from this album and some from that album. And that's kind of how I feel about Black Mirror. Like they're not all home runs, but they're all worth watching and they're all, really thought provoking and interesting. And there's nothing else like black mirror. It's sci-fi in a way that I love, which is this sort of day after tomorrow thing. And so much, not, thought- not like the Roland Emmerich movie day after tomorrow, but more like, uh, just oh. something that's really close to home. You mean, right? Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you clarified that. Cause I was a little <laughs> lost for a second, but I was like, he'll get there. He'll, he'll make. Okay. It's like independence day. You guys. <laughs> it's no. like the 2012 like, of anthology series. <laughs> like Jeff, Jeff will get me to where he's going with this, but I'm like sitting there going over my head and day after tomorrow and being like, I don't, what? I just, I guess, uh, that film has much more prominence in your guys' mind than mine. <laughs> it definitely does. Even that it was does. a definite burn on my count. Well done. Well done. <laughs> it's Always like, fun to be on the show. It's like Dante's Inferno. It's, um, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's uh, as the the design and the technology and the ideas. You know, usually when you see sci-fi, it we we see lots of sci-fi in pop culture, but it's usually far future or really 
out there. These are so plausible, these things that we don't quite have yet, but you can kind of see a pathway to getting there. And that idea of it being not tomorrow, not quite tomorrow, but very soon right but around the, the corner. day after tomorrow, as it were. Yep. Yes. Right. That's um, interesting, though, because it adds a layer to it where it's more traumatizing because it feels like it gives a sense of dread to the entire series that this is coming. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it is. It does feel like this warning uh, sh- across the bow shot across the bow, you know, this this feeling of uh, what technology could be like. And some of the ideas are more out there than others, but all of it, the worlds created, I think, are the most interesting part. The worlds that seem like, you know, like the world we live in with just a slight tweak. And and I'm so enraptured by that. I love I love that idea of oh man yeah they have you know the iPhone 15 or whatever they've got you right. know it's it's very soon but it is and it's plausible and it seems like a a world that we're about to fall into and maybe we haven't thought through. Um, so yeah, I mean I love this season. I don't know where I'd rank it if you had to say which season is the best, but I kind of feel like that. I could pick out episodes and I almost forget which episodes are parts of which season. You know, it's like I, episodes are so self-contained that it almost doesn't even matter which which season they came from. It's all part of this larger tapestry that that I find to be delightful. And I'm so glad they're still happening. A few things you said I want to respond to. First of all, uh, I was wondering if we could go around and just say what episode this season was our favorite. Because I think people who are still listening to this right now and haven't seen the uh, episodes may just want to know like where they can start. This is an anthology show. You don't need to start from the beginning. If you had to watch a single episode from season four, what would you recommend, Christy? USS Callister, the first episode. Uh, it's interesting because when I saw them... Um, we I got screeners from Netflix, but they didn't they hadn't decided an order yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of made up my own order as I went along, and I uh, I recommended people you watching USS Callister kind of second to last, just because I think it's the strongest episode, and I think it's smart that Netflix starts off the season with it, in that that's what pops up first as yeah. season one of the season really episode great one. opening like episode right. just yeah. really gets yeah. you into the mood. It's really well executed. Yeah, so great and choice. It does so much, but yeah, I, but I, it's I think it's the just far and away, like production value and what they're doing with it. I think it's the best one of the season. Devinder Hardware, your favorite? Of the yeah, season? I mean, USS Calister is great. I also love that episode. Uh, I would say if I had to pick one, though, Hang the DJ. Uh, just in terms of what it does, and it's a really human story told really well. And, uh, you know, I, I really genuinely love that episode. Yeah. And it does, it kind of makes you think. That's all. Yeah, agreed. Jeff Kanata, your favorite? I would pick Hang the DJ as well. Um, it feels to me like the San Junipero of this season, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which I think was the standout episode of the previous season. Uh, a close second is Black Museum, but Black yeah. Museum, you have to watch last. Yeah, yep. agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I agree. Hang the DJ as well uh, for me. Definitely the episode I found to be the most powerful. So, uh, yeah, USS Callister, Hang the DJ. If you ha- only have like two hours for some reason, <laughs> and uh, you can watch two episodes of Black Mirror. Those are the two from this season you should pick. Um, but Jeff, you were also saying how proximate the world in Black Mirror is to the real world. And I will just say, a lot of Black Mirror's ideas have come true to some extent uh, You know, in, in our world. Um, 
Yeah, I think it was who is the uh, who is the prime minister that none had... of the good ones though none <laughs> yeah. of the good ideas. Um, who is the the prime minister that? Uh, oh yeah, like... Tony Blair. Tony, yeah. no, not Tony Blair. Uh, the other Wasn't one, him? yeah, David Cameron uh, was the guy who uh, in college apparently, yeah, uh, put his penis in a pig's mouth. I think was the. Uh, was the thing that yeah, happened? Yeah, I think that was I, a, I, a decapitated I that that... pig's mouth. Yeah. Oh, it was not a live pig from what I understand. Which is better, you know, <laughs> in the grand scheme <laughs> yeah. of things. Yeah. Yeah. Like... It's an odd <laughs> spectrum, but it is better. But you know, there's also is, like... This is not what I thought I'd be considering tonight, but I guess you have a point. <laughs> yeah. The entire history of you, I feel like uh, the prominence oh. of uh, things that record your life has just increased dramatically since that episode came out in 2000. Mm-hmm. I want to say 11 was when it came out, right? In 2011. So it's yeah. quite been quite a while. There's things like Momoto, which is like this camera or not Momoto. It's not called Momoto anymore. But, you know, there's like a camera you can wear around your neck. Yeah. There are um, a whole bunch of life cams. Yeah. Narrative clip. It's called narrative. That's what it is. It's like yeah. a, a clip you wear around your neck, and it takes photos every you know regularly, and you can kind of like keep track of your whole life that way. Um, and uh, there was a guy a service now that will email you to uh, like in the style of a, a, a like passed away relative. Or right. Loved one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, season two. Uh, be right back. Uh, there's <laughs> an episode where you know a woman tries to recreate her. Uh, her dead husband's personality and people have done similar things. People have tried to use uh, technology to recreate their, their uh, loved ones that have passed away uh, in, in recent days. So still, uh, still very much ongoing. People are using, you know how in the, in the same way there is uh, adaptive AI that will, you know, write uh, the new Harry Potter novel in the style of Harry Potter. You can feed uh, an AI, all of the things that your loved ones have ever written, and it will try to. I mean, that that's a thing yeah. that exists right now. Yeah. It will try yeah, to yeah. mimic the the voice of your dead loved one. So I think there's certainly a lot of premises that the show has has gotten right or or mostly right in terms of our real world. And of course, Devendra, you pointed out that episode in season two, the Waldo moment, where they elected yep. a, uh, a. They didn't elect him. They were oh, wise oh, enough he, not to. Not to <laughs> yeah, that was too far. Even Black Mirror didn't go that nobody, far. Nobody would believe that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true enough. So, uh, yeah, this the show has gotten it right quite a bit, and it'll be interesting to see how right it gets it looking mm-hmm. at season four. Uh, before we get into spoilers for every episode, I do also just want to say, man, this show has come a long way. Devendra, I remember when mm-hmm. we had we basically had to pirate the show back yep. when it first came out because it was impossible yeah. to find anywhere. Um, and now it is in millions of homes uh, via yeah. Netflix, and that's amazing. You know, it, it is kind of funny too. Like it was the definition of a cult yeah, show, yeah, right? Yeah, a yeah, cult yeah. Like everybody was talking about. It's like, have you seen this thing? I, I got to get it to you from from the UK. I remember. Right? I think like I heard when, about it from you. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it it's crazy. like when Bla- when Battle Royale first came out. I was right. Like, this crazy Japanese movie, guys, and um, now <laughs> it's on Netflix and it's everywhere. Yeah. That's what's even crazier about that first episode because that's the same thing with us. We we, we were reviewing it on the Totally Rad Show at the time, and it was like this thing everybody was talking about, and you can't see it here in the states, and you kind of have to get it through, you know quasi illegal methods and mm-hmm. and then you sit down and you're like oh my god everybody's been talking about this and then it's this pig fucking episode and you're like what even <laughs> yeah. is this yeah yeah it's really somebody, weird over there i got sold on it um by somebody saying it's like twilight zone but about specifically about like technology and i was like right. cool cool and then the first episode i was like wait what is this <laughs> and like I really like the first episode because to me it's a much more horror premise um and yeah. just how uncomfortable that episode 
is determined to make you during the actual like climactic scene where it just stays on everybody watching this horrible thing. Um, but I tend to tell people like, I don't think that that's representative of the wider show. Like, I feel like it's, I think 15 million merits is probably the better jumping into points just because that show is, that is probably still my favorite episode of the season of the show. Interesting. That one bored me. Oh man. I I like the ending, but it's like for so much (laughs) of it, I'm like, what are we doing? Like that, uh, I do think that one, you know, I, I rewatched part of the national anthem, which is the very first episode recently. And, uh, I think that what it has to say about technology and media feels very quaint today. You know, yes. uh, yeah. the, the idea is that the government is trying to suppress this message, but it's out there on Twitter. It's out there on YouTube. And now we have, media, to comment, guys. we have to comment on it now, you know, and, uh, it just feels like something that happened, you know, eight years ago, which it did. Like th- it was, there was yeah, this, this big struggle about technology and and uh, the standards of journalism. That it just mm-hmm. feels like, yeah, we are we are way past that point today, unfortunately. So yeah, it, it was definitely a story of its time. Uh, but I think what worked really well for the show is that clearly we are facing like a crazy technological revolution, like on many fronts, right? Mobile technology, social tech, and nobody was really taking the step back and being like, well, what does this mean? Is this this actually good for us? And the fact that this show was kind of the one thing to do it and do it well, um, that's that's probably a big part of its success, I think, yeah. Indeed. Yeah, it's interesting because it reminds me a lot of reading Ray Bradbury when I was a kid. And like you would read things like Fahrenheit 451, or I read a lot of his short stories. I think there was one called The Pedestrian, it was just about someone that liked to walk around at night, and that was just considered so bizarre that it causes, like, a big stir. And, like, when I read those stories as a kid, they made me think about the world I live in and what what our actions mean and what the world could be. And, like, mm-hmm. that's what I like about watching Black Mirror is I think it does the same thing where it kind of tweaks a, a – it, like, flips a switch in your head and is like, okay, so this thing that you do all the time when you play on your phone – you know, when you're uh, obsessed with this video game, like, what does this say about who you're becoming? Like, not even who you are, but like, what are you aspiring to be? And how is it dangerous? Like, how are how is our how are you harnessing this little thing that could be good, but through technology, we're over, able to overindulge. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of that this season. That's really interesting. Indeed. All right. Uh, well, why don't we dive into this season episode by episode? And so we're going to say spoilers for Black Mirror season four starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. You're going to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. All right, let's begin uh, with the first episode of the season, USS Callister. Uh, the plot summary is a woman wakes up on a Star Trek-esque spaceship where the crew praise their all-knowing and fearless captain who has used DNA scans to simulate real people within his game. <laughs> uh, so this uh, episode has an amazing cast, right? Uh, yeah, Jesse Plemons, yeah. Kristen Milioti, Jimmy Simpson, um, who's taking yeah, a break. Michaela from, Cole is you know, here. Yeah. Taking a break from Westworld to film this. Uh, Michaela Cole, yeah. <laughs> uh, lo- amazing cast. And uh, this was the way the season kicked off. And uh, as Christy indicated, I think it was an amazing opening. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if there's one theme this season, I would say it is captured by this episode, which is like, what if computer programs could feel? What if they could experience pain? Right. That's that seems to be an extremely like prominent theme this season. 
Uh, that, that's the theme for a lot of the sh- a lot of the series. Like yeah, the Christmas yeah, yeah. special. Christmas special. Like, yeah, definitely. because we've established yeah. the idea of cookies before, specifically exactly. in White Christmas. Yep. yep so yeah, he's yeah. sort of building on that. But he's yeah. yeah, definitely building on it in interesting ways. Uh, I love this episode. I thought there was so much uh, love and affection evident in it for both Star Trek the original series as well as the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. I mean, look at the last kind of three minutes of this episode and the way it's filmed and the set. Mm-hmm and everything is exactly like the new J.J. Abrams Star Trek with the lens flares and everything like that. So they managed to capture the feel of both Star Treks it was clearly made with a lot of love for uh, for the franchise and you know I'm probably the biggest Star Trek fan on this podcast so uh, I really enjoyed all that it's also uh, a, a riff on the Twilight Zone episode from 1961 called It's a Good Life about a town terrorized by an all-powerful six-year-old uh, so <laughs> Yeah, USS Callister, great episode, great homage to Star Trek, uh, and played very much like a uh, a thriller, right, where these people need to get out of this thing that they're trapped in um, using real-life resources. Uh, So I thought it was a very interesting, great opening to the series. Uh, Christy, anything you want to add about why you thought this episode was great? I really like the commentary on, you know, basically aggressive uh, gamer culture, frankly, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not I like I get asked occasionally if I'm a gamer and I don't count myself as one predominantly because like I don't play online games and I also feel like people that call themselves gamers have a very specific idea what that means. I play video games, but um, I not in a sense that I think most people would consider me a gamer. So I just kind of like I like my things and I'm over here. But what I think is interesting in this that's such story... A, that's such a sad commentary in and of itself, but we won't have to go into that. But I, <laughs> Well, how, no, how I mean, this is it? true. It's like if you call yourself a gamer, then it brings with it all this baggage that I'm just kind of like, I don't yeah. need people tweeting at me and, like, you know, asking me to explain myself. Like, I play that's, certain games and I enjoy them and people can do their thing. But what I think is interesting... That's what's so sad. I, 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 yeah. I didn't mean anything about you. I'm saying sad no. that you would, like, not want to associate <laughs> with that term. Well, it's just that it's like, it's like a fa- level of fandom I don't... I don't... I get it. I'm yeah. not a part of. Um, but I get it. What I think is interesting, and I don't think I do think that it is commenting on Gamergate because it's specifically about video games. But I think in a broader context, it's also talking about the quote unquote nice guy who feels and I'm saying nice guy, capital N, capital G, which means he is not an actual nice guy. He is someone who feels entitled to the women he is interested in and doesn't actually care about what they want or their Mm -hmm. agency or anything. He just feels like he owns them. And it's interesting because the film this like this feature length episode talks about this in a lot of ways. Um, like Jesse Plemons, the character starts off in a character that I think we're supposed to associate with because he's the, you know, bullied nerd. Right. And like, we've all been there. And so like you're, and like also movies and TV like compel us to be intrigued by the bullied nerd. That's become such a niche and such a thing that, you know, such an established character. But in this, it starts off with that and then like you start hearing how people are talking about him and like, oh, he's a little starry and you see this the like receptionist being kind of like cold to him. But then you see how he behaves back and he does stare and he does eavesdrop and he does like get really petty with his coworkers. And, and then it's steal like, their DNA. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. Like on the surface, like just at the office, he's kind of a creep, but just in a way that like female coworkers warn each other about him. Like they tell Nanette who is new and is kind of enchanted by him because he created code that she finds really inspiring. They kind of warn her and they're like, yeah, he's a little starry, which is a vague warning. And it's like a whole whisper network thing that we're hearing a lot about now, the whole whisper network thing. And it's because it's like, you don't have any hard examples of why this person freaks you out, but you're like, look, 
he just gives off a bad vibe. But then in the fantasy world, you see it. It's that if he had kind of effectively the balls and the power and, you know, the hair. I love the touch, by the way, of the wigs they use on him where he goes from having a bald spot to having like this too much Captain Kirk yeah. hair. Kirk hair, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's like it just shows this shift in power where like if he could control their situation, he would be an asshole god. But and you're I so right it was... that it, it plays both ways and, and so beautifully at the beginning, you see that like that interaction at the um, at the coffee maker and you're mm-hmm. like, wow, everybody's a dick to this guy. Poor yeah. underdog. Like all she yeah. wants to do is like him and everybody's a dick. And it, it plays establishing him as this underdog, like you said, that we all relate to. And it, I love that shift of, oh, no, he's a monster. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, I mean, loved the just the uh, opening and how it cuts from uh, him making out with all the women on the bridge to him getting off this crowded elevator in the morning, yeah. which is like extremely similar to the crowded elevator I get off of every morning. <laughs> uh, and it's just like, wow, like uh, this, uh, how stark his fantasy life is different than his real world uh, was really striking and I thought well executed that way. Mm-hmm. He's also completely emasculated, I think, throughout his entire life. And that's a really interesting thing too. Like he is, he's basically Walter White you know, in a certain way, like there, there's a sort of like frustrated genius to him. Like he started this company, he gets no credit for it and his flashy. And I think like more, I think more overtly like creepy boss, like the CEO is like the guy who's literally going up to the new girl and trying to chap her up, you know, at some point. Yeah. Um, like I think much more overtly creepy in a way. Um, but this starts out as that, you know, frustrated male genius story and ends up being something very different, right? Because the thing about Breaking Bad is we, you know, in the end, we do cheer a bit for, we cheer for Walter White, uh, despite the crazy shit he has to do and the monster turns him into. Whereas this one really focuses more on like, yeah, what the sort of, what his actual home behavior turns him into. Let, let me I ask found... you, let, let me ask you a question, Christy, because I, I think you you definitely touch on the, the big theme of uh, this episode, which is like that this is kind of, uh, toxic masculinity mm-hmm. that we often can't even see. We can't. It's not even mm-hmm. observable in in the world, um, and it's only observable in like a person's private life. Um, and I guess like my my question, and this may, this may bring us in into a path that we don't want to go down because you know it'll take like an hour <laughs> to talk about. But uh, I guess um, what is the thing you find? objectionable objectionable about his behavior is it that he is uh like torturing these like if the computer creations couldn't feel pain and he just used you know computer games to work out his aggression like would that be uh equally bad to you is is it just like the fact that he needs something to express his frustration you know i'm trying to get at yeah i understand that you're trying to pinpoint it but i don't think it works like that like to me it's a lot it's about red flags and like Mm -hmm. I'm actually really impressed that this episode was written by Charlie Brooker and William Bridges because it is a film that is very, it's like, it's a, it's an episode that's very aware of the red flags women are aware of that men tend not to notice. Mm-hmm. And it's just little things like, you know, the way like Michaela Cole says, like he's really starey and it's like, they, I know those guys. Like I used to work in an office and I remember when I started there and there was this one guy that kind of gave me weird vibes and, and people were kind of curt with him, but he seemed really nice. And I was like, why is everybody such a creep to him? 
And then, like, once I, like, started working with him more, I was like, oh, because you're a creep. Like, he would stare at your chest. Like, he would do this thing where he would be, like, um, he'd compliment the necklace you were wearing, but he's just staring at your tits. And, like, no one's fooled. Mm. And I, I used to, in response, hold the necklace up to my face and act like I was regarding it, too, and be like, yes, look over here <laughs> to where my face is. And it's just, like, it's little things like that. There's just all these little microaggressions. And I know that word is, you know... I don't know, uh, triggering to some people, but like, it's that in the office, he does these things where he doesn't actually want to interact with these people. He wants to possess them. And you can see it in the way he behaves where like, it's, you know, he gives the coffee order to the intern, which like he's totally allowed to do, but he does it in this way where the intern feels awkward about it when it's like literally his job. And it's just all this stuff where he's so socially uncomfortable that he makes everyone around him uncomfortable which is a red flag. And then it's like when he actually gets into this world, I understand the argument because I've, I've seen this online that people are like, well, the cookies aren't really people, but they are a consciousness. So mm -hmm. it's really like, I mean, it is like you carbon copy your personality. Like, you know, if you want to talk about the idea of a soul, it's the idea of, of carbo carby co carbon copying your soul. So it's not just that they experience pain, but they experience dread and they experience passion and desire and fear. And they have nothing, they have no control over the situation. Yeah. It's a terrifying concept that like, what if the creep at your office could create a virtual world where he could basically torture you? Like, yes, it's not actually you. It is a carbon copy of you, but the concept of that is horrifying. And like, mm -hmm. It's because it actually involves these people in a sense. It's not like he goes home and, you know, creates like a comic book or writes a screenplay or whatever and works it out through a method that is artistic. Like he creates this world just to torture these people and live out a power fantasy where they are things to him. The, the reason I ask the question is because uh, I agree that the way it's depicted in the show is completely monstrous. Like it's it's unequivocally he's a monster. You know, there's no... Uh, gray area, in my opinion, in in the episode, but I, f I guess I find in real life things aren't quite as as black and white as in this episode, and so I I guess I just am I'm wondering like it's very sure. easy to see like oh well you know that person isn't Jesse Plemons in Black Mirror bad. Um, well, that's actually but, the cool thing is that the mm -hmm. screenwriters have fed things into there that we've talked about in modern society recently about what's appropriate and what's not like for instance um when they ask like when they talk about why they're trapped there what they did that was their like their transgression the receptionist said it was insufficient smiling which like the whole thing of like men telling women they should smile more is a thing it is a political con concept because the implication when you tell a woman to smile is that like she's there to please you that's like why aren't you smiling i would like you to smile fuck you i can do whatever i want with my face <laughs> And then there's like the point where when she rejects kissing him, he says that wasn't very nice. He assumes that he gets to kiss her because he's created this world because he wants her. Yeah. And like, even, even though in the real world, it seems like she's actually interested in him. That doesn't imply consent. That doesn't imply that she wants a sexual relationship with him. It doesn't imply that she owes him a fucking thing. And it's, there's all these like notes about that in the, in the, in the episode where, you know, if people don't behave exactly the way he feels, but specifically the women, like, you know, there's even like a point that I noticed watching it again, where when they go down to the planet and they have to fight, um, what is his name? Billy, the guy from Ingrid goes West. <laughs> oh, damn it. I remembered his name before, but, but then they go to fight him. Mm -hmm. Um, only the men get guns, which like clear phallic symbols, the men get guns and the women literally just stand there looking frightened. 
Like there's all these cues about how this guy sees women and it's, it's there. It's there talking about representation. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it's not just a woman who like undoes him, um, but a woman who, you know, says like stealing my pussy is a red fucking line. Like she wants her agency (laughs) back. She wants her, she wants her sex back. Like it's, a huge commentary on the conversation we're having right now about a culture. And it's not just my toxic male masculinity or toxic, toxic masculinity, because this isn't a particularly macho character except in his fantasy world. Right. But it's about male entitlement. And this idea that this guy who is bad with people is bad with women and like, doesn't actually have a concern for people or his job. Cause like he screws up the deadline on the whole thing because he's not listening to his tech guy. Like, He's not a good guy, but he still feels he's owed these things. Yeah, I I love all that, and I totally uh, agree with everything. I do think there is an interesting, in the same way that the Black Mirror episodes across the board bring up these um, delightful and juicy hypotheticals, I do think there is something, though, to to what Dave is kind of presenting as um, not exactly what's happening in this episode, but a a what if because this is sort of just a day after tomorrow story like what if this tech didn't exist there are guys like Jesse Plemons all over the world that go home to that empty apartment and jack in to you know or not jack in <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh, but they 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 turn on their monitors and they watch revenge porn or mm-hmm. all manner of other awful things and it is a private experience, right? It is an experience that is ostensibly not hurting anyone else, but it, this episode seems to say that there's still something wrong with your inner life. Uh, and I think that's a fascinating question Mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily all the episode is about. It is about all the things you've brought up and, and wonderfully so, but it is an interesting question because that is something that happens all the time is, is these, these males have a need to feel powerful and don't have it in their real life. And they go home and they seek out fantasy worlds that will give that to them. Mm-hmm. And how much or how little is that a bad thing? Right, And, and it doesn't even, society? it doesn't even need to be revenge porn. It can be like world of Warcraft or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. And, and so, and so Christy, exactly there's, a line, you know, there's like things that are totally like totally acceptable ways to blow off steam. Like, you know, I like to play mm-hmm. violent video games when I'm stressed out. And some of the things I yell at the screen are super not appropriate to <laughs> yell at your husband when you're playing video games together. It's fine. But like that that's the whole thing is that this is talking about an indulgence to a point where it's not enough for him to experience power and to live out a fantasy. He also has to hurt people. And it's like a very big theme. And it's like, I mean, you could even compare it to like internet trolling and stuff. Like this is this is not a passive thing just because he has it blocked off on his computer. Like it's about exerting control over other people. The show does a lot to support, to make us feel for this character. Like he is a dude, he is shit on in his real life. Like, yeah, he may mm-hmm. creep out the women and stuff, but his his co-founder, that is a shitty relationship. Like just yeah. uh, see, like, yeah, after, you know, interviewing and talking with like a lot of tech dudes and people doing companies and stuff like this. Um, it is, yeah, that is a shitty relationship. This guy has no power in his real life. So he, I think to some degree, the, the episode wants to make you feel like, Oh, he, yeah, he, he can ha- take this little bit of power and, you know, just express it in a game. It's not hurting anybody. What's wrong with that? Um, I think the real, like one interesting takeaway from this is how chaste the virtual world is, right? Like there is no genitalia. 
There's no actual rape, but he is still rapey. He is still doing it's the definitely things. a violation. Yeah. It's definitely yeah, a violation. This tech, if this tech really existed, this would be the least fucked oh, up yeah. thing that somebody Most would do. Definitely. This is actually a very a much chaster version than <laughs> if we actually had this, then how this would end up. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, what's interesting then is that he still gets to think he's he, he gets to tell himself he's a nice guy. He's not doing yeah. terrible things right. to yeah. You know, he's right. the nice right. guy who ends up line. doing bad things. And that's what's most relatable, I think, to a lot of people. And they may miss that. The show is saying something, too, about people that exist in a video game are somehow less uh, human, less, you know, when you encounter someone in a video game, people very good point. can be mm-hmm. completely awful to them because they're they're obfuscated, right? There's a, a abstraction that happens that lets you go, oh, this isn't an actual human being. Even though consciously I'm aware that there's another human being on the other end of that screen uh, behind another keyboard somewhere, I can still behave to them in a way I would never behave to them face to face because they have an avatar and because it's a, there's a disconnection there. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that, that even though like, if you look at the cookies, not as like cookies within the world, but like metaphorically as avatars or whatever, even people on Twitter where like, there's enough of a disconnect there that you feel like you can do anything because that's not a real person you're interacting with. It's an avatar on Twitter. I think there's also like a meta point on that on that in that vein, Jeff, about whether this behavior is helping in some way, you know, or or hurting. And like, like it doesn't seem like him working out his issues in the way that he does in this episode is making him a better person. Do you right. know, I would suggest it never does. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's that's one of the takeaways for. A, a lot of people and and certainly like the the twilight zone episode as well that like having that power over people like he does in this episode does not make you better mm-hmm. and in fact can often make yeah. you worse i think it's is. an outlet when he needs therapy he needs like emotional counseling that's what right. he actually needs yeah um a couple other things i also want to call out about this episode um first of all there were a couple of cameos i think that have been written about uh kirsten dunce shows up yeah uh for yeah. like a shot she? yeah she's she's in I there for like that. literally like a second uh she is jesse plemons fiance i want to say i did not right? know that but that's great yeah yeah, yeah i knew they were together in real life but who where does she show up in the episode she's uh one of the co-workers in the office like it's not she like oh, passes it's like by she's the there camera. as an yeah. extra that's interesting yeah and uh and of course aaron paul um who was uh spoilers for breaking bad uh he was in the show breaking bad not only in the show breaking bad but was enslaved by uh jesse plemons character in breaking bad <laughs> Uh, it shows up at the oh. end of this episode. Yeah. So, uh, that's yeah. a, you know, that's a show my husband watched when I like went on like an away trip. He like <laughs> he watched like all of it in the course of while I was gone for work. So I have to catch up on Breaking Bad. Oh, Death. I'm so okay. sorry. Well, sorry, I didn't mean to spoil it. No, I'm it not for concerned you. about spoilers. I, I basically it's on me. The show's been over for years. This is not go on. Uh, I, I did think that the manipulation of, like, in you know, inside the game, Kristen Milioti, or Nanette, as, as her character is called, uh, I did find that to be a little bit of a stretch. You know, I did not really feel like... Uh, it, it didn't really feel yeah. believable to me that yeah, someone would... There's a lot would, of little bit of stretches going on. Yeah, it, it didn't really feel believable yeah. that to avoid revenge porn, someone would break into their boss's house and, like, mess yes. around with their stuff. And- She's straight up a murderer now, right? The, yeah. According to law, law enforcement, going to find <laughs> they're going to find the body and like all her fingerprints everywhere. Is, so that I'm a little confused about the end because, like, is he 
brain dead now or like he will just starve to death yeah yeah it'll just starve to death I didn't like that the the show also didn't explain, you know, if you die in the game, you die in real life, you know, or so, anything like that. It just no, no, no. I just mean that, like, if they take that thing off his his head, because I know he's kind of stuck there. But if they take the, that thing off to like, doesn't that just disconnect him from the game and he'd be fine and free yeah, I think that's right. My feeling was that he will not be he will not be discovered for quickly enough, long enough time right. that would cause his death. Yeah, I think that that, he, that's he, definitely he just, the implication to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and and she is, uh, I think, criminally responsible for that. Which <laughs> <Yeah>. is, um, <laughs> but what kind of idiot doesn't create some kind of failsafe to his? Yeah, uh, that, that's a pretty dangerous system to be in right now. Yeah. yeah. Although, guys, I mean, I, you know, I personally geeked out at this idea of a, a game update in the form of a wormhole. I thought that was like a really clever way of conceptualizing it. Um, yeah, so I yeah, that was funny. I guess it was pretty convenient. I think, but okay, <laughs> but then, I, but then it allowed them to have their little, little like Star Trek moment when they fly through the meteor shower and everything. I, I just thought it yeah. was like a really great, so, yeah. Somebody described this as the first Black Mirror episode that also works as a backdoor pilot. Oh no, a bunch I think can work as backdoor pilot. Yeah, well, maybe, indeed. but this really one cool. I think particularly well. It's really, it's really well done, yeah. I think. And also, if we're if we're talking plot details, there's one thing that just kept gnawing at me when the uh, the engineer was like, "Oh yeah, we're we're gonna have to push this update till uh, Christmas Eve." What the fuck are you talking about? Are you gonna be working on Christmas Eve to manage your servers and all those customers, dude? Yeah, come on. that's what I thought. I was like, everyone hates you now, dude. You're yeah, yeah. ruined everyone's lives on Christmas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, um. Christy, any closing thoughts on this episode before we move on? I just want to throw out that I thought Michaela Cole was amazing in this because so I knew her from Chewing Gum, and I think this was one of the first things I had seen her do that wasn't Chewing Gum. And, like, she's so good, which is – Chewing Gum is also on Netflix, and if you don't know it, you should totally watch mm-hmm. it. It's a hilarious British comedy show. But she's so good on that show playing this, like, w- woman who has an incredible confidence that is completely unearned that to watch her playing a character who's just actually like genuinely suave and like, you know, confident and like trying to get her handle on the situation was really, really exciting and fun. And I just want to see her in many more yeah. things. I, I thought it was also great seeing her for a second time on a, on a starship bridge, basically. Cause she was, I know. it's so good. I literally scream when she showed up in the last Jedi and yep. she says yep. one line, it doesn't appear again, but I was so excited. Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. 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 Very yeah. cool. Well, yeah, again, I, I never, I never thought though that, uh, Stealing the DNA was a particularly deft idea. I mean, it, it could not be simpler for this dude to just get more DNA anytime he wants it, right? Well, yeah, of course. That's why they had to kill him at the end, Jeff. Well, but they didn't <laughs> intend to kill him. I, I thought that was a, a sort of yeah. accident of well, happenstance. I think the main thing was to get rid of Tommy's DNA. But yes. he could just yeah. easily invite that kid back to the play. Uh, like, yeah. how hard is it to get more Tommy <laughs> but DNA? But at this point, they, if they, once they're on the internet, they could actually, like, contact people and yes. be like, this yeah. is what's going on. So there's, like, there's, there's, they're no longer trapped to the specific it, scenario. it couldn't have less relevance <laughs> to the people in the real world. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. no, they're, they're don't just going on. They're fine. <laughs> they're fine. They're still going to treat him like a dick when he comes back. Also, yeah. really, really, like, you know, DNA from, like, my saliva allows you to reconstruct a me inside yes. the computer with all my yes. memories and stuff. Yes, they Dave. established that there's a thing I don't know. I don't like this. Thing. Is, this I, I get what you're saying, 
thing, but like this is the stuff that doesn't bother me because oh, I'm yeah. like, sure, yeah, I know. Like, we have a machine that does this. I'm like, well, fine, the, it's a 3D printer for DNA. Cool. Yes. Yeah, this that's is the premise. Right? That's why this I brought it up like way at the end of this review because yeah. it bothered me, you know, the least. But um... I just felt like it wasn't the only time this guy is going to get access to DNA. I mean, he's going to he's constantly can harvest it and keep making more the, of you. The next the next episode in this would be about the the people them just like traveling the internet and being like, he's creating digital lives in digital rights matter. You know. Uh, digital lives rights oh, matter. So true. <laughs> I bet you guys come up in a future episode. Yeah. But the thing, you know, the thing that made me feel sad about the end of the episode. I mean, I don't really care if this guy died because this guy seemed awful <laughs> to me. But I, I mean, also it's fiction, so I'm allowed to be like, yeah, I like my my like my catharsis in this is fuck that guy. But the marketing, the woman from marketing, I forget her name, who's like a monster on like a far flung planet in his mm-hmm. server. She's still just there forever. <laughs> she never made it on the show. Oh no, she's dead. She's dead, right? Because they erased all the yeah. the whole um, yeah, yeah. thing. So the universe is gone. Oh. Yeah. So, so she's she dead. Can't be tortured be... anymore. Yeah. Or or yeah, she's like on the brig. Maybe she's in the brig and turn. Well, anyway, no, no, no. Because no, Michaela came back at the end. It was Michaela Cole and um, Billy Magnuson. That was yeah, the guy Billy Magnuson. Yes. That's the guy. Lieutenant Cole. Welcome aboard. We have a new member of the team. We meet again, Captain Daly! We're trapped! <laughs> Jesus. I... Space Fleet never turns its back on those who need our help. Three cheers for Captain Daly! Hip hip! Hooray! Hooray! All right. Yeah. Well, my plan of spending ten minutes per episode has already gone down the toilet. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's move on. <laughs> To Archangel. Christy's uh, delighted. <laughs> yeah, she's, you're delighted to blow just, up my whole... Yeah. We started with, like, the most, like, one of the densest episodes. Yeah. So I was like, okay, yeah. how's let's, it going to work? really long. Let's too, dispose yeah. of these next two episodes really quickly, guys. Um, yeah. Archangel. After nearly losing her daughter, a mother invests in a new technology that allows her to keep track of her child. This episode was directed by Jodie Foster uh, and mm-hmm. stars, what, Rosemary DeWitt, I believe? Uh, yeah, and, yes. Jeff, you are a parent... Um, Indeed. And I'm sure you have freaked the heck out uh, about your child before uh, yeah, at some point. constantly, daily. So, so, Jeff, if I could implant a chip in your child's head and it could allow you to see everything they see and keep track of wherever they are, wouldn't you take that opportunity? Probably. Uh, probably. <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. Yeah, oh, man, probably. I don't have kids, but I would do it in a heartbeat. I completely understand yeah, that I, mean, I think most parents people, would definitely consider it, yeah. People chip their dogs, right? Like, yeah. it's not too far away from that. Um, this was my least favorite episode of the season, um, and but but not because of the premise. I thought the premise was fascinating. I just felt like the episode itself didn't mm-hmm. explore the premise nearly enough. And what kind of parent throws away the birth control thing in the garbage can in the kitchen. Oh, I love that that's your complaint. <laughs> you don't There's so many more complaints, yeah. You don't throw it away in the garbage can in the kitchen. If you've if drugged your yeah. child, don't yes. throw it away in the kitchen. Although, actually, that did lead to a mini-controversy um, because it was, um, like, it, it, theoretically, what she gave her was, like, emergency contraception, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, but, like, she was already pregnant at that time, which is not how... I didn't get that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there, I didn't get that she was ever pregnant. That her mom was just taking precautions. That's my understanding yeah. of it. No, oh, okay. she was already pregnant because the nurse the nurse says you're no longer pregnant. 
Yeah, yeah that's right. So it, it implied that, like, these pills that, that her mom fed her, like, terminated the pregnancy, which, like, is not how emergency contraception actually works. Uh, and I, actually, that's why I, didn't, I don't think that's exactly what the, the doctor says. I, I don't know if you guys have watched it more times than I have. I'm going to watch it the once, but... I mean, I mean, just under- just Google Black Mirror emergency contraception, and you'll find like fifty articles yeah, about I, why people are pissed off. Yeah, I watched it this past weekend. The nurse, when the nur- when she starts throwing up at school, the nurse says to her <laughs> that um, it did work. You're no longer pregnant. Right. Like yeah. she she uses that phrase, and the girl's like, "I wasn't pregnant, and mm-hmm. I didn't take this thing." And yeah, it's 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 some sloppy storytelling there that doesn't understand how basically the morning after pill works. Right. Which, well, we, couldn't you couldn't you interpret that exchange as being the nurse making some assumptions that aren't true you know like certainly certainly but like but basically like there's a lot of uh interest groups let's say that are invested in what exactly the emergency contraception uh, contraception pill does that this episode unfortunately did did nothing to help clarify so yeah we should be very clear if you're listening (laughs) it does not abort anything (laughs) yes that's right since since black mirror isn't making it clear to you the slash film cast where you get all your reproductive health advice basically the morning after pill is just like an intense dose of birth control and uh, you can look up. I could. Ex- I actually know what that does, but I feel like no one wants to hear me explain <laughs> about yeah. that uh, about like uterus it, mucus and stuff. So yeah. it's the pill times ten. It's yeah. it's really it, the it, same it is thing Black the Mirror the pill. Well, also this this thing. I'm surprised they didn't just be like, oh, this is a feature like super quick easy abortion pill. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like so, that's all you had yeah. to do rather than imply it was a yeah morning after pill. More than that, tiny. Uh, part of the episode i i think that we had all of this wonderful setup over an entire mm-hmm. many years pass at the beginning that is all just like feeding into setting up this situation where you have this girl who's living a life where she doesn't see anything bad and uh mm-hmm. what might that be like and all of that is completely abandoned like yeah it, it, yeah. it is not there's no follow through on any of that i know we've had other black mirror episodes where blurring out of faces is a much bigger deal and maybe that felt like it was treading on the same uh territory but i found that to be far more interesting a thread that was completely uh, abandoned and and not followed through on and and it made me sad because i felt like where the episode did go was kind of the least interesting take on the setup right, um, right. and yeah didn't i hear did, you didn't yeah. love it uh, I, I would yeah. – yeah, if you have any thoughts, feel free to share them. But otherwise, I, I want to move on to some of the more interesting episodes. I, I was going to say that I, I find it disappointing, frankly, in the ending that the, the girl beats her mom but, like, the mom mm-hmm. lives. And I know that sounds vindictive, <laughs> but what I mean is – You no, just want everyone I mean to die, that, Christy. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying this could have been the payoff for the fact that she right. can't see what she's doing. Right. Like, I because thought that it was gets censored happen. when yeah. she's beating her mom. Right. It sets up – it seems like it sets up that she's going to kill her mom and not even realize that she did it because she can't see it. That would have been a more dramatic and more interesting thing to do. It feels like they pull their punch with that last scene, and that's what bothers me. I agree. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all because they wanted somehow to end with this this horrible notion of the mom pushing the daughter away. But I, I think that's just – that's not – even as a parent, that's like, okay, yeah. all right. Not not as not as interesting as where it could have landed. The the biggest mm-hmm. failure of the second half of this episode is it's just really contrived because you can, you kind of know where it's going to head. Um, but yeah, I, I took that ending like the her attacking her mother did feel like it was she maybe reacted too you know violently to this thing that happened because she didn't have the emotional skills to react normally. But the episode didn't give us you know the building blocks to see like oh maybe she doesn't she's not actually like as emotionally secure as she seems to be. 
and maybe those issues she had earlier are still there or something like that. But yeah, ultimately the contrivance is what annoys me. And it also super annoys me about the next one too. It just is so like ridiculously simplistic in my opinion, this, this episode in terms of its message. Uh, and, Feels like it feels like what people when people say they don't like Black Mirror, this is the kind of episode they don't like. It's this yeah. kind of very yeah. sermonizing, very alarmist uh, depiction of technology. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think the takeaway from this is you must never parent too much, but you must never parent too little. You, it has to be exactly the right amount or else your child will be in a horrible, horrible situation. Yeah. It will this, almost beat you to death and then climb into a trucker semi, basically, and, yeah. which is the and worst this, thing. This, uh, it's a shame that this tech company went out of business because uh, I don't think there are many Silicon Valley companies that can make a product that you cannot use for 10 years and it turns back on and works seamlessly. Yeah, the services are fine and the battery was totally cool. Amazing. Yeah, um, <laughs> as John Syracuse tweeted, uh, this episode of Black Mirror posits a utopian world where network connected products continue to function a decade after they're discontinued. Right. So, oh, man. Uh, all right, that's Archangel. Uh, not very good. Uh, and not because of the direction by Jodie Foster, uh, who I thought did fine. It's, it's really at the script level that this episode didn't work. So, uh, okay, let's move on to the third episode of the season. Uh, Crocodile, a woman's past, comes back to haunt her while an insurance adjuster questions people about an accident with a memory machine. Uh, and I, I should mention that the accident, she's, she's questioning them with the memory machine mm-hmm. about an accident. Um, so. Which is, by the way, I think my favorite concept, like tech concept of the season, just like the way it works and the way it constructs and the way it deals with like the fallibility of memory. And you're just like, okay, I'm going to give you the song that you may have heard and maybe it'll make mm-hmm. something work. Yeah, that was um, super cool. Like super the, cool. The, the like premise. it really built up. The premise is great. This is a great premise for like a procedural TV show. Right. Like, yeah, it, yeah. I think it would be amazing uh, as also, especially with this, uh, the main character who I thought was pretty awesome too. Uh, Andrea, Andrea Riseborough playing Mia Nolan in this. this Well, Andrea Riseborough, but I'm I'm talking about the inspector who is far more interesting played by Kieran Sonia Sauer. Um, she, she dies though. I don't no, no yeah, Jeff, with her. We know. We, we know. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Procedurally, uh, for the that record, would be really I was cool. very upset that she died. Just yes, just, I, I am just very upset. Sometimes I'm sad when people die. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not rooting for it. Um, yeah, I I know that Devendra, you weren't as fond of this. Why were you not as fond of this one? Because it is it is well, it's John Hillcote, which who I love, but it's John Hillcote doing very bad like neo noir. Like that's that's really what it boils down to. It is oh okay. I get this accident at the beginning, and oh man, this question's gonna hang over her her entire life. And it's one of those stories that hangs on a stupid decision, and then that stupid decision begets another one and another one. And unlike a Coen brother movie, where I think like the mounting insanity was genuinely interesting. Here it got dumb real quick. Well, un- unlike a Coen Brothers movie out. where you're you're given in a Coen Brothers movie you're given some access yes. to to the characters' mindset and what what they're going through, and in this one I I just don't feel like you're given anything. But Christy, yeah. I think you like this episode. Um, yeah, what, 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 what I, did you enjoy about it? So the first time I watched it, I was kind of frustrated and angry with it, and like admittedly, I watched it like early December because that's when I got the screeners. So, and I didn't really have a lot of people to talk to it about because. It was no. It was like only other people who had the screeners, um, and I was like, "Why is it even called Crocodile? It doesn't make any sense." And then a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, somebody said, "Why is it called Crocodile?" And someone else said, "Because of Crocodile Tears," meaning that like, and I this may be inaccurate, but apparently <laughs> crocodiles cry when they eat. 
And so even though they're killing something, they seem remorseful, but they're still killing something. And like once that clicked into place, when I rewatched it this past weekend, because we were going to be talking about it, I liked it a lot more um, because it I think it clicked into place. The thing about Andrea Riseborough's character that just wasn't working for me necessarily the first time. But I watching it again, I really liked it in that they shoot it in Iceland and it has this much chillier, much more kind of Scandinavian feel. I know Iceland's not in Scandinavia, but bear with me. It reminded me of those kind of thrillers that are bleaker and don't kind of let the audience off the hook at any moment. And like this goes hard toward a very brutal ending. And I like John Hillcoat's stuff, but I kind of, you know, some of it I can, I'm not as into or whatever, but I like the way he tells stories that are about like humanity trying to thrive amid a bleak environment. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it just doesn't happen. And this, in this case, it doesn't. And I thought it was interesting where I spent so much of the time being like, well, but what does this like insurance adjuster have to do with Maya who like witnessed a murder and then committed a murder? And I thought it was interesting exactly because they don't give us a great access to her interior world and, it's like that's the horrifying thing is to see this woman who is respected and who is like in the beginning, like giving a big speech about how like she wants to make the world better and how right. you need to hang to hope and all of that. And it's that's all well and good. But when her life and her safety is threatened, she's, you know, ruthless and she will do horrible things. And I thought that was all really interesting. Um, and especially because they put that on a female character, mm-hmm. which like. Typically, female serial characters are, or female female serial characters, female serial killers are super rare in real life. Um, so there aren't a lot of stories about them aside from like Elaine Warnos, really. And I thought it was interesting to to put that in it because I think it makes the audience inherently more uncomfortable with the scenario because when we do see things about spree killers or serial killers, um, you know, they're men, and to see this slight woman who uh, is ruthless. And, you know, who does these horrible things. I thought it was really interesting and chilling and surprising. It was definitely different. It was a different thing to see, you know, a yeah, a petite woman kind of go on this killing spree. I just needed <laughs> more. I just needed more. Like, I, I get taken out of stories real quick if you have no motivation. And I, I know they set up her motivation, you know, a lot uh, in the beginning. But, like, the first killing happens. Like, I, I feel like you could have worked this out. Somehow, I feel, I feel like the worst thing that happens is this guy is like, "Oh yeah, I ran over somebody," and she's like, "Oh yeah, I was in the car," and you know, I just you know, and or I, uh, like I, I wasn't yeah. a, a, I wasn't in the car. Right. B, he forced me to do it. You know, like this. Her reputation would recover. <laughs> like I, I think if if that had gone as it was, rather than you know killing somebody um, immediately, I understand. Like in that situation, it's like, oh man, it's a uh, you, you're just like it's like fight or flight, and it's like okay, I'm gonna do this crazy thing that's out of character. But then it builds and it builds, and it's like. Uh, and the final thing with her with her family or with the guy's family, and it's just like I, I mean, I'm even yeah. I'm even with the film through the the murder of her friend from the car. Like I'm yeah, I'm even yeah, yeah. with like I'm still like okay, yeah, I, I can, can buy that. I could buy yes. that. Yeah, I could buy her killing that dude. You know, because he he doesn't seem like he has that many connections. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, she, he's, she can clean this up. She's a smart lady. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all all good. All everything's fine. You know, nothing's fucked. And then, uh, but then she killed, you know, the the other woman, and then she kills uh-huh. the whole family, including the baby, including the baby, and who was, because by the way, memories bl- from the baby. The baby I was think. blind, and it, it, uh-huh. at that point, it just felt like yeah. the show was being cruel. Isn't the show yeah. being cruel, Christy? Isn't the show being cruel when the baby's blind? 
Yeah. No, but I mean, that's <laughs> the thing. It's so. like, what I thought was interesting is you see, again, it's, you see a progression because, you know, first she lets her friend get away with murder. That's what happens. And yeah. then he comes back and he threatens to derail her entire life because he feels guilty. And I don't think she intended to kill him at first because it's like right, she kind of right. just grabs him and you yeah, see her yeah. like not really. Yeah. She kind of loses control. Crime but then passes. he's dead yeah. and she makes the thoughtful decision to put on porn because that'll give her a weird alibi no one's going to ask about. Right. And then she like orders the food so she can use the cart and she pragmatically disposes of the body. She like goes and does all that. And then when this woman comes to her door, you see her trying not to let her in. She doesn't want to be engaged in this. She doesn't want to like, it's not like she enjoys killing these people, but she's so ruthless in that she's created this space for herself. And this is what she's going to have that. These are the things she does. And I, I believed it. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I'm, it's funny because I'm actually right now listening to John Ronson's the psychopath test. And I'm like, look, there are people that do this stuff. Um, (laughs) But I, I, as far as the storytelling goes, I understand the frustration of not understanding Mia's point of view. But I actually thought that's part of what made this episode so effective mm-hmm. because they gave you a really charismatic character in the insurance adjuster whose name I can't remember. Oh, Shazia, Shazia yeah. in the yeah. in the in the show. Um, and like you really like her, and I think that you know they thought we're not going to bother with effectively the villain of the piece. And it's, she's almost like an Anton Chigurh character where it's yes. like, you're just like, yeah. why, why are you so fucking evil? And like, it's what like, well, that's not what the episode's right about. Yeah. I did uh, like uh, the good things I liked. I did like the procedural aspects of it. Like I was saying before, but like just uh, Shazia piecing together how this happened, like this little bit of info, this little bit of info. And then what basically spilled the beans for, uh, for our main character is that she was standing by the window and mm-hmm. like somebody saw this at the, this point, like just the idea that these little bits of information could give us up. I think that's the ultimately most compelling thing about this episode. And the idea that uh, you are compelled by law to cut co- you to cooperate with insurance agents who want to read your memory, which is yeah. just like, man, we're, right. we're yeah. What but have we become interesting about that is that it puts people like the, the insurance adjuster in the way of dangerous people. And there's no reason she shouldn't. She should predict that. Right. Like, I thought that was really interesting where it's kind of being like, we should be like, because I feel like you start the episode concerned with like, oh, I don't want someone like in my memories. And like, even that like dentist who is spying on the hot naked guy across the alley, like, right, he's really embarrassed and horrified and worried that she's going to tell people. And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't tell people like, unless you hurt somebody. And like, it sets up this idea of, you know, how dangerous it could be to let somebody into your memories and have that kind of access. But then it, the way they flipped it, I thought was a very black mirror kind of turn. Right. There's something very uh, interesting about the idea that having better access to memories uh, that theoretically is, is to help like uh, solve or fight crime could right. end up causing crime. Right. That's what, yes. that's kind of what yeah. the, uh, the episode posits. A um, couple of other things I just want to mention. Uh, first of all, I thought the ending was dumb. Um, I just thought that like the, <laughs> the idea that the hamster has the, like witness the murder. It just is like, I want the scene where they're like, they like, Hey hamster, drink this beer. And <laughs> yeah, this yeah. Here's some wood chips, you know, like remember where you were five <laughs> seconds ago. Happened. I feel like it'd be pretty easy to just like shake the child's toy or something. And the hamster right, will right. be like, Oh, right. At that point I was already like emotionally, I had jumped off of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it was also great that, you know, in this episode, a, uh, self-driving pizza delivery truck, uh, hits someone, which causes then like lots of other people to die indirectly. And shortly after this episode was released, 
Uh, Pizza Hut announced a self-driving delivery truck, if I'm not mistaken. Leave it to Pizza Hut. It's CES, so yeah. Leave it to Pizza Hut. That makes me happy because I know someone gets hit by a bus but in it, or gets hit by a pizza <laughs> bus, but I was like, oh my god, a pizza bus is the best idea I've ever fucking exactly. heard of. Exactly. We are building our dystopia by our love for pizza. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. I'm not even mad at it. I mean, <laughs> like, I, if the robo-apocalypse is going to come upon us, but it means that, like, I don't have to talk to anybody to get pizza, I mean... yeah accepted jeff i feel like we cut I off a joke i feel That's like we cut off a problem. joke about leave it to pizza hut it's okay it's not gonna Sorry. work now <laughs> i, <guess laughs> I want to know what it is now jeff <laughs> leave no. it to pizza hut to what uh most important part of uh comedy timing so uh, you know it's damn fun. it um I, I challenge our listeners to write a, a punchline to that uh opening anyway <laughs> continue jeff what are you gonna say uh, nothing. Oh, okay. uh, this is most. I think the the most beautiful of of the episodes. Oh this yeah, season. looked amazing. Looked amazing. Gorgeous, gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous, gorgeous. All right, hang the DJ. A new dating app allows the matched couples to be told how long their relationships will last. Uh, that's hang the DJ. So, shall we check our expiry date? On three, two, one, go. Twelve hours. Yeah, twelve hours. Okay. Bit um. Yeah. A bit short. It is a bit short, isn't it? I used to think that love could have been be... mental before the system. I mean, are we just meant to go at it? Define go at it. Oh, fucking hell. But then you always find your perfect map. It really does work. <laughs> Another relationship. Hey, coach, is this a mistake? Everything happens for a reason. Devinjo, you really enjoyed this episode, right? I did really enjoy this episode just because it it, it seems like the logical combination of dating app culture right now, like uh, Tinder and OkCupid and everything. Uh, just like, g- give me quick and dirty dates and uh, don't let's leave no mystery to it, right? Let's th- this relationship is going to last this long, and people assume uh, the algorithm. Just like uh, th- there's a certain faith faith in the algorithm here that it'll make a great match for them. Um, I found that all pretty fascinating although i think about halfway through this episode i was definitely wondering I was like why don't people just like just say no <laughs> no to this whole stupid thing and just walk away and then uh, by that point i was like oh maybe maybe they can't say no what's going on here and that kind of led to the stuff happening in the last act uh which i really like too that's it this is another episode about digital consciousness and uh you know the, the value of them but uh i thought it was kind of fun like the, the reveal at the end where all this is happening as the algorithm, you know, is matching somebody in a dating app. I thought, yeah, th- that was kind of a fun way to do it because that's technically how a lot of these things work. It is a lot yes. of simulations at once in the sim. Obviously, right now the simulations don't have like, uh, you know, their own uh, personalities and perspective yet. But, uh, but you could very get- much, you could very we much can get imagine to that point. Yeah, the the horrible slave. AI that has to play Go 80 billion times exactly in, in order to win at Go. Why and was I programmed to feel the pro- yeah the passage of time? Exactly. <laughs> why do I why do like I have the to Butterbot sit- from Rick and Morty? Exactly. What is my purpose? I have yeah. to keep playing Go over and over and over again. Let me just yeah. fucking not play Go once. Um. So Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on this episode? I, this is my favorite. This felt yeah. most like the San Junipero of this season. Uh, it, it had a sort of hopeful feeling. And I, I love the the sum of this. There are wonderful individual moments, as as Devinjo pointed out, of of living through this crazy 
process with these people mm-hmm. and imagining what you might do in that situation when you're you're condemned to be with someone you hate for a year of your life. Oh, like, man. What is that like? But it's also a wonderful metaphor for the things that we do to ourselves because mm-hmm. this is basically how dating works. Like I was in a relationship for a year that I hated. And why do I, why do I do that? Like I didn't know at the beginning of it that I was going to be in it for a year, but I should have gotten out of that relationship way sooner than I did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it, there are like it, external factors that prevent you from doing it or maybe even internal factors. Right. And you don't, and in this uh, episode, it's just like personified by the algorithm, but, yeah. but, uh, but in real life, they're just like external factors that might keep you in a, in a terrible situation. And it works as a metaphor. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. But for me, the magic of this episode really is that, larger idea of running a million simulations against itself Mm -hmm. in order to find out what is the most optimal match and all those million simulations like had experiences. (laughs) Uh, I think that is uh, such a fascinating concept and really well illustrated here. I think it, it comes to life in a really cool way. Um, and it's, it's a neat moment. It's a neat sort of Truman Show moment at the end where they're climbing the long ladder and trying to escape and then they get to that place. And it's like, yeah, you you guys escaped, you know, 400 times. So you're, you're the match. It's it was great. Uh, yeah. I love this episode. And this is one of those concepts where if it you know existed just in the exact form it is in this episode, everybody would be on it. <laughs> Everybody would be like, yes, sign me up, give me this app, find me my soulmate. Yes, please. Yeah. And uh, nobody would even think about like, yeah, the. I don't know the like whatever these simulations are going through. Will that even be a concept the greater world even understands by that point? Who knows? We just think, man, this algorithm's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, right. on, on that note, here. not because like when the White Christmas episode where they introduced mm-hmm. the idea of the cookie, it doesn't seem like the woman who did it understood what was actually going to happen right, because right. when she wakes up in the simulation, she is completely blindsided. Right. Like, I, I think that there's, you know, willful deception within the world of Black Mirror's businesses that they don't really tell people what's going on. So I mm-hmm. think that when you sign up for, for instance, this dating app, they tell you like, oh, yeah, we do like an assessment and blah, blah, blah. And it's whatever. It's like they give you throw a bunch of techno babble at you. And it's <laughs> like a iTunes user agrees. And you're like, I'm not going to read this. Yeah. Well, then Fine. the characters from USS Callister fly in in the <laughs> next episode and waves that whole digital life rights thing. Uh, and that's what we're going to need. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was interesting because my because uh, my husband pointed out that in uh, the Black Museum episode, they mentioned mm-hmm. the idea that you're not allowed to kill cookies. Yes. Yeah. But this kills cookies like it's the job, because at the end they all turn into pixels. Mm. Well, there is, you know, know there's a there's, them. there's been some great articles about how all of Black Mirror actually takes place in one universe, and you, you right, actually right. see in like news reports and in the background of the Black Museum, all the the exhibits, like it's yeah. clearly like all these Easter eggs indicating. Black Museum things. seems to exist just to show us the stuff from the last episodes. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. like, but, that, nice well, but that's it. Like, uh, to make that case of yeah. being all shared universe. Yeah. yeah, but that's it. I think uh, Christy, I would say this episode, Hang the DJ, takes place in the pre. Uh, you know, digital, cookie. Di- yeah, cookie rights uh, yeah. era, right? So, yeah, timeline. Yeah. yeah, no, no, yeah. They're, they're, those timelines exist. The first place I read about it, screencrush.com had a great huh. article that like laid out, like, they put them all in chronological order. I thought it was really fascinating. So, mm-hmm. oh, I'll have to um, look at that. Yeah. Um, so, a few things I want to point out about this episode. Uh, 
first of all, I, I do think it gets at the dehumanizing nature of dating apps in a really good way. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many of us here have actually used dating apps, if I may get real for a moment? I have not. Um, I, I've been married longer than dating apps have existed. Exactly. So yeah, define I an app. <laughs> I met my wife on Match.com. But there you go. That's yeah, yeah, really? yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a dating app. Um, I, I, used, I, I used OkCupid um, for a while. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, it it is an extremely soul crushing and dehumanizing process. Uh, I, I, think... I I could I could not disagree more. <laughs> well, <laughs> I found my wife. Yeah, no, no, I I, I get that. Um, but and I, uh, you're that and couple I, and... that's like on the thing, and you're like, it works. Just believe in the system. <laughs> yeah, you're like in the commercial, Jeff. Uh, I did, but I didn't I didn't sign up for it to meet a wife. I, right, I, right. And I also. Found the Just process. Just keep digging this hole, Jeff. Why did you sign up for Match.com? Uh, to bone down. No, uh, no, I, I signed up for Match.com. I signed up for Match.com to meet new people and uh, to meet people that I wouldn't have met in the in the ordinary course of my day. And that is exactly what it delivered on, and it delivered on it in a spectacular way. Like I, I found the process to be incredibly fun. And incredibly mm. enlightening, and uh, I was meeting people that I would never. And even when I would sit down for some with somebody for coffee and realize within two seconds that I was there was never going to be a second date, I still had an incredible experience of finding out about someone that did something in another part of the city that I never would have ever encountered. And I, I met some extraordinary women. It was. I, I found it to be a really cool experience. Well, I'm just going to put this out there that I don't think I'm the only person who thinks uh, <laughs> apps like OkCupid and Tinder are uh, basically like a hellish experience. And I think the right. uh, the depiction in this episode uh, it really, you know, when, there's a scene where she she's going through like dozens of guys that she's in relationships with, and it's all like in one long continuous shot, and you see them like and fade in and fade out. So like representing for the. Uh... Bisexual or queer women out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, th- and, and like how just uh, how much it like forces you to kind of divorce your feelings from from the act of uh, of what you're doing, like in engaging in in the, this kind of dating situation. Like, I, basically, what I'm saying is, I think the episode really captures modern dating really well, uh, <laughs> from my perspective. And um, I also thought uh, that there, there's this uh, piece in uh, Vulture.com written by Catherine Van Arndonk uh, called Let's Talk About the Ending of Black Mirror Hang the DJ. Uh, and, and first of all, before I even read this, I think it was Kyle Turner on Twitter that put it really well that uh, this episode combines with uh, Be Right Back, San Junipero, and uh, the entire history of you to form a very interesting quadrilogy about the effects of technology on relationship and love. Uh, I, I thought that was an interesting observation. And in fact, those are probably like uh, four of my favorite episodes of the whole series. Um, so uh, yeah, it, this definitely is a, is a great entry into that quadrilogy. But um, here in this article at Vulture.com, she writes, the problem with Hang the DJ, especially when you view it as a companion to San Junipero, comes down to the idea of choice. In San Junipero, hope and, hope, uh, I'm sorry, hope and happiness come out of the protagonist making the conscious informed decision to be together. Technology enables and informs that choice, but the final utopian vision depends on Yorkie and Kelly exercising free will in concert with this mm-hmm. world-bending technology. Hang the DJ tries to do the same thing. The triumphant climax is Frank and Amy choosing one another, and they decide to do it by thumbing their noses at the establishment and throw it all away for one another. But in the very next breath, 
The episode undermines its damn the man sensibility. The characters who actually make a choice, the Frank and Amy who actually exercise free will, get destroyed so their real world counterparts can abdicate their decision making power to an algorithm. Right. Simulated Frank and Amy make the choice to fight the system, but real world Frank and Amy end up embracing it. Uh, what's the, the uh, what's the writer on that again? The the writer of this episode. No, the writer of that article. Oh, uh, Catherine uh, Van Arndonk, I think is mm. how you. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. But I yeah. mean, I get that reading, but that ignores the fact that like also the Frank and Amy in the app signed up for whatever the program is. Like, it's just that like you know sometimes relationships don't have huge obstacles, so you never mm. have to test them. But like. Wait. If you never have to test them, how do you know that, you know, quote unquote, right, you're meant right. to be together? So it's in the a- app, though, that we as I don't know if they they don't even remember, like, how they got there. I don't know right. the agency of, like, them signing up for it is the thing. I think they're just, like, there. and like, oh, I'm supposed to do this thing? Yeah, yeah. There's no, and they don't have the knowledge of that. This right? is not like That's USS it. Callister digital copies. Like, they're, they're right. just, like, sure. the personality without memory or something like that. I do, I do um, kind of think, like, this works as a follow-up from San Junipero, though, where they're like, man, look at this, this, like, virtual world, and, like, people are getting together, and this is pretty cool. What if we take this virtual world, we clone the people, we just have <laughs> them run through these relationships over and over, and bingo, you got your perfect dating app. This feels like, honestly, the dystopian, in a way, sequel to San Junipero, where they, yeah. like, take what the magic of that and boil it down to something easily, you know, that, that makes for and easy more commercial. Exactly. Yeah. I, I do think it's fascinating that on the one hand, you're like, oh, yeah, buck the system. Awesome. Yeah. And then in the next scene, you're like, uh, you know, embrace the system, adhere to it, because then you'll find true happiness. You know, join I, us. I, it's bliss. I actually I actually don't think that's a um, that's a flaw. In, I think it's a feature, not yeah. a bug. I think it, that's it, how it, it is. Yeah. It is supposed to make you extremely ambivalent about yeah. Um, this system that like oh on the one hand they probably are a great match you want them to get together but on the other hand should we really be celebrating uh, a system Jeff Kanata where like this online situation like hooks you up with the the people that you're supposed to be with I don't know how cool would it be to be able to instantly copy yourself a billion D times and run a simulation on all the various decisions you could make and exact duplicates of you run through that and you go, no, I, I you know what? I will, I am going to have the pasta because like <laughs> a, thousand, a thousand of me ended up having more joy with the, with the pasta. You've the come fish. up with the follow-up. Like that's their seamless algorithm power. Like what's for dinner tonight? Black Bear season five. Like you can run yeah. the thousand. Like we're going to see a thousand exactly. simulations of someone eating, you know, the different items on a menu and like, uh, I, mean, I really, really the pasta. I should have gone with the pasta. Show me where to, to spend my money to get <laughs> the perfect version of like oh, uh, any decision I make. Let's just run me through this that. Is what a Amazon times. is building right now, by the way, like Amazon's whole like thing. Like it is really funny. Like, yeah, between Amazon, and a lot of other companies, like this is what digital commerce is becoming. Like, cause a companies know our shopping profiles. They know what we like. They're yeah. le- you know, leading you towards certain products or not. Um, we will it, gleefully accept it because things are getting cheaper too and easier to use. So yeah, sure. Well, why not it, put a microphone in my home? Is it submitting to the man if the man is correct a hundred percent of the time? <laughs> right. I, I think I, the, yeah. the, the episode asks that question. I think, and yeah. it's really interesting. So, uh, all right, guys, we are rapidly running out of time. Metalhead, uh, the fifth yes. episode, directed by David Slade. Uh, and I should mention, hang, hang the DJ, directed by Tim Van Patten, very well regarded uh, director. Um, David Slate, a woman Slate. attempts uh, attempts to survive in a dangerous land full of robotic guard dogs, and that really is the entire thing. That's, yeah, 
that's the whole thing. All right. Yeah. Let's, uh, I mean, I thought it was a well-executed genre piece. Do we have anything else to say about this? It's a, I, I it's a trait. Say, oh, it's my I, least favorite episode because it's like they did a behind-the-scenes feature where, like, Brooker was like, I wanted to make, like, a, a thriller. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. It's it's just, it doesn't, doesn't ask honest, any interesting questions about the world, really. No. It's a genre it's exercise. A, yeah. I think yeah. a really well-done genre exercise, right? If it we is. were to boil down all these uh, like Black Mirror potential topics, this one's like, what if Killer Ibos? <laughs> yeah. that. Right. Just that as a whole <laughs> and movie. And it also it just is, does the thing where it's like black and white, and the black and white feels really superficial just to be gritty or something and just to make it look stylistically different. I do it's feel just, like I could tell this is a David Slade episode just by watching it because I'm I'm a huge fan of his uh, his mise en scène, like just the way he makes things look. Like he made Hannibal look beautiful, and uh, yeah, his films as well. It's I, yeah, it's a really simple concept. Uh, it is basically Terminator One uh, with yeah. killer ibos. Um, yeah. And you're and, talking about the Sony ibo, which is a robot dog yes, that's been around for a long a long time, but apparently it's that coming will back. Kill you. Yeah, it's coming back. I saw it. Yes, guys, it's yep. adorable. We'll all want one in our homes. Don't worry about it. Don't <laughs> ask deeper questions about that. Uh, but like, just as as like a genre exercise, like I think Slate is so good at this that I was I was with it. Like, it's not a particularly like inventive story. Um, but I think the I like the like. The I mean, it literally was done thirty years ago in the Terminator. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. yeah the last the last shot is terrible. <laughs> yeah. It makes I, me hate it. I actually dug thoughts. this episode until that shot. Really? Is this I the mean, episode with all the robot dogs heading? Oh, oh no, no. The um, it's that they were trying to get a teddy bear. Teddy bear. See oh, the humanity, yeah. Jeff. The humanity. Maybe, oh. maybe, maybe it was the teddy bear from Black Museum, guys. Yeah, it's, it's, that's right. See, teddy that's bear. the thing. Somebody had made that point that if it was supposed to be that, but I feel like if they were going to go for that, it would have been the damn monkey. It wouldn't have been you know a random teddy bear. I feel it, like it's it supposed matter. to be like in yeah. this dystopian scenario. Like just a, a normal comfort is such a thing that you would risk the risk the lives blah, of blah, blah, blah. exactly. <laughs> I also spent much of this episode just thinking like where if there if there is one continuous Black Mirror timeline where does this fit in? This what is the is, last. Yeah. This is the last one. This, this is, is like last. among the last. Like this yeah, is, it is fifteen million merits, and then we end on this one after the robot uprising. <laughs> um, I, this episode just got my mind spinning. I love the like it is purely a genre exercise, but it's a thing I love and it's done really well. Um, and even though like the plot's simple and nothing's explained, like compared to like Crocodile, I was with what's happening here. That's all. I, yeah. I, I you know, I, I agree with you. That is a solid genre exercise. I think I could not get over how stupid the humans were, especially in the early part of the episode. <laughs> uh, and yeah, yeah. They, they just did not behave like people who survived the apocalypse, in my sure, opinion. Sure. Um, starting with the fact that they went back for the teddy bear. So, but Gotta you get know, the teddy bear. <laughs> all right, uh, let's move on to the final episode. Uh, Black Museum. A woman enters a museum where the proprietor tells her stories relating to the artifacts. Uh, now, there's three separate al- a- aspects of this episode. It's kind of an anthology episode, like White Christmas so was. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's the story of Dr. Peter Dawson, who has a neurological implant that allows him to feel the sensation of others. Uh, there is a- another story of- about... Um, uh, a man named Jack who transfers the consciousness of his comatose wife Carrie into his brain, mm-hmm. uh, and then in the which was basically the man with two brains with <laughs> Lily Tomlin and mm. uh, Steve Martin, yes. which one yes. of my favorite movies as a kid. Uh. And in the uh, final story, uh, Clayton Lee, uh, Hay- the the proprietor of the museum, Haynes, coaxes convicted murderer Clayton to sign over the rights to his post death consciousness when he is on death row. 
Um, after his execution, Clayton is reborn as a hologram inside Haynes' museum. Um, so, Christy, take yeah. it home for us. What did you think of each of these stories? Did you like the episode as a whole? I was excited about the episode as a whole. I will say that I made the mistake of watching this first because the screeners Whoa. were not... We didn't have an order. It was just <laughs> right, like, here are right. the screeners. So oh, I watched right. it first, and then I was like, no! <laughs> because watching the rest of the episodes, I was like, there's the screen from Archangel, and there's the this, and, yeah. you know. Yeah. But uh, structure-wise, I really like this because my favorite Black, uh, Black Mirror episode is White Christmas because I just feel like the structure of it and then multi-vault-level stories and everything just works really well. Um, I'm not totally confident it works as well in this because this feels a little grimier (laughs) in the whole, I mean, it does. It's, it's a very, for like Black Mirror and also that it was the first one I watched for season four. Uh, it, it felt kind of off in that it feels a lot grungier and like, it reminds me of like the '90s Tales from the Crypt episode. Tales yes. from the Crypt. Yes. What I loved about it. Which no, <laughs> I like those, but it was it was jarring because it's a very different tone than what Black Mirror yes, tends exactly. to be. So it was kind of hard for me to adjust. And like the 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 museum caretaker owner or whatever is such a creep that it's like the whole episode. I was just kind of like itching to get away, um, which is effective. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's it's a journey. And um, I thought it was really interesting because it does take you through and steps you through not just these very disturbing stories of people who set out to do good things, but it got twisted. Tales of the Crypt always is. Tales of the Crypt is always somebody set out to do something good and horror happens to them. And that's what I loved about this because Black Mirror has has always sort of teased that but never gone full Tales from the Crypt. Mm -hmm. And I love that they not only – did an episode of Tales from the Crypt. They did the way Tales from the Crypt is, which is like it's three stories in one episode. I mean, it's a full-on Tales from the Crypt episode with a crypt keeper and like this guy narrating Mm -hmm. a story. That's what I loved about it. And the stories are super creepy. They're super effective. My only criticism of this whole episode, honestly, is I don't understand why the first story didn't tie in. Like the second and third stories tie together and it does. It does. Yeah, because it has the technology that you, that someone else can feel your pain, which they loop in in the end. It's it's a rudimentary form of, I guess, uh, the other stuff. Right? What, 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 yeah. what do you mean? Like it's like a building block. because the doctor like has that thing in his brain so that he can feel the pain like uh, of someone else. Right, and, and then in the end. Like, you need the Oh, actually, I guess you don't need that be, because yeah. the second thing does that, too. It yeah. would have been so easy to have the guy who was on death row convicted for a murder that he didn't commit, but the doctor did commit. Like, the doctor could have been the guy that actually... Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I did, yeah. The first time I watched it, I did think that's where they were going because there's that, that, like, the whole through the thread, they keep talking about that murder, and then that turns out to be what they're talking about at the very end. That's a fair point. It would have been so awesome because that dude goes off the deep end and starts drilling people in the streets and, and murdering people to feel it. But like if 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 this guy had been convicted – we were supposed to understand that he was convicted for something that he didn't do because of the DNA. Right. And it would have been – it would have tied everything together. I don't know why that didn't happen. It seemed That's obvious. I, I kind of felt that about some of the other episodes too where like just a li- push a little harder and this would be wrapped up really nicely. Uh, what I love about this episode though is that it fully – embraces the absurdity 
of the premise of Black Mirror is like, oh yeah, we got this division in the hospital, and they're they're just building all kind of crazy shit. You want to you want to you want to feel pain? Like, oh yeah, we're working on that. That's in beta. You want to you want to share brains? I don't know who needs that, but yeah, sure, we got that. Um, also, the idea that yeah. that you could um, get free healthcare if you were willing to subject yourself to medical yeah. testing <laughs> yeah. felt really terrifying and really relevant because I feel like we're days away. Like oh, yeah. I mean, like you know, day after tomorrow, all that. Like that felt really just like we're getting there and i thought the stories were really fascinating and what i thought was interesting is and i don't know if you guys know this but the second story about the monkey where like she gets transferred into her uh husband's brain but then like Mm -hmm. this monkey toy that's actually kind of a deleted plot point from white christmas because initially in the draft for white christmas the woman that gets made into a cookie um she's also has a child so the cookie has Mm. to watch her child grow up without her basically like with her, but without her, and like, what hell would that be to like see your child every day, but not be able to mm. touch them and speak to them and whatever? And uh, Charlie Brooker said he cut it because he thought it was too dark, but then apparently he worked <laughs> it back into this episode, which is I think it's it's good because I feel like that would have been like way too much for White Christmas. That would have been just mm-hmm. kind of a layer too much of already how sad that first story is. Um, but here I think it's much more effective as a second story. Yeah, um, I-, I thought it was amazing. Like there- there's all these little details that are thrown in. You know, the idea that uh, you can't confine a consciousness into a device that can't express fewer than five emotions. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was just like a facet. Like the process that must have occurred for them to come up with that regulation. Yeah. I thought it was you know just it just he throws it away in like a one off like line, but it- mm-hmm. it's really interesting. Uh, I-, yep. I do want to call out that. Uh, this is probably a topic we won't be getting much into because I don't feel like any of us have standing to really talk about it is uh, that this episode is primarily about black suffering um, mm-hmm. and the the commodification of black suffering and and um, and black bodies yeah and, and black bodies and 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 how uh, black suffering is used to for commerce right yeah um, and it goes back to like also like PT Barnum like used for show used for spectacle in a right. way too like, right and a lot uh, of also good um, there. Uh, 15 million merits as well. I like, kind of touched upon black yep. suffering as well uh, with uh, with Bing's struggle. Um, there is a great article at Vice called Black Mirror is Obsessed with Black Suffering that I would recommend people check out. Uh, but yeah, wanted to, to, to mention that as well. The uh, l- Let's just go through the stories really quickly. The, the doctor story, I-, I thought the idea of being plugged into someone when they died and that being like a high that you can't, come mm-hmm. back from was just really fascinating yeah. uh, and and done really well and and also resulted in an extremely violent scene when he d- drills that homeless man's brain out um, yeah. horrifying but also yeah. really compelling take that american psycho um the second <laughs> one of the, it's one of the few black mirror stories where it feels like they really explored all the ramifications that would right. happen from a technology like right. yeah people would use it to fuck and people would use it to you know like it's it's pretty cool how you go. Oh my god, this yeah. is crazy! They really let him have free reign with this uh, like beta. <laughs> really, yeah, they really didn't uh, yeah. put any limits on his usage of that thing. Um, yeah. And then uh, the second story I thought was really interesting because it pre- the, the idea of like pausing a consciousness. He pauses and then for her in the brain, um, Carrie, right, who's in his brain, it feels like a second has passed, but in reality, mm-hmm. you know, uh, months have passed. I thought that was really well done. And um, it also was the second film in 2017 to have a version of The Sunken Place uh, yeah. that was really mm-hmm. well depicted. This idea of this chair with this this massive, like, projection screen in front of you, I thought was really well conceived. Um, so really appreciated that. 
Uh, and then the final story, of course, it turns out that like the the Clayton Lee, the convicted killer, is the main character's father, uh, and so she exacts revenge on him. And then at the end, it turns out that by the way, the thing that we thought was horrifying a few moments ago uh, <laughs> is actually a happy ending with her mom's in her brain already. You know, I thought yeah. that was kind of an interesting twist. Still can't. You know, it's very similar to uh, Arc uh, Archangel, right? She's right. she still can't do any. Her mom's gonna be watching through her eyeballs anytime she wants to do anything fun. I have a theory on this, though. I think that um, I have a feeling that like it's basically um, kind of like I don't think she's gonna carry her mom with her forever. I feel like this was part of the grieving process for her, and that like yeah, you know, she um, you can't undo it, or, or, or like maybe now her mom can go elsewhere or whatever, but like. They went together to this and like this this black museum that exploited her father, who she says is innocent. And we don't really get to learn more about the story, which I think is kind of a bummer. Mm -hmm. But um, she goes to this museum where this white man has taken her father's suffering and bottled it and sold it to gawkers and to racists and to, you know, power hungry fuckers. And she goes to reclaim that and does it with her mother, like literally in her mind. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was kind of beautiful. And then, of course, she leaves with Carrie in the doll, um, which I feel like that's as much of a happy ending as you can get on this show. And what I think is really interesting is as much as we've talked about how this episode does very much feel like an homage to Tales from the Crypt, um, the Nish character doesn't. Mm. Nish is not crass. Nish is not, you know, she's actually the one that's kind of reining the the museum guy back the whole time. And she yeah. keeps like when he's going off on his tangents, when he's making the boner joke and all that kind of stuff, she's the one kind of reeling him back in. And it's like almost like at the end of the episode, they're like they're returning from the homage into a much more kind of tonally yeah. uh, black mirror setting. She she almost feels like somebody taken out of like a Tarantino script or something just like this, like. She's she's quietly like, oh, man, she's smart. She, she's capable. And then like revenge at the very end. Like I got mm. really great vibes from that and her just driving well, they away also set it her up. classic car. Yeah. If you're watching closely, they set it up in this really interesting way where she's walking around the museum and she walks to the back. And if you watch if like she looks up mm-hmm. at the back and you probably think she's looking at the sign that says Black Museum mm-hmm. and has the guy's name and all that. But she's actually looking at the air conditioner. Yeah. Right. And they don't show her walk back out front. There's like a, a abrupt cut where she's in the middle of the frame behind the museum. And now she's in the middle of the frame in front of the museum. And it's like, it's telling your brain, like you missed something. Yeah. yeah. And so then later, whenever like he goes for her bag and whatever, and then he starts having a problem with the, the heat and he keeps overheating. Like you feel like he's laying a trap for her Cause he's telling these mm-hmm. stories and he's luring her behind the curtain. But then when they actually get behind the curtain, the surprise of course, is that she's been playing him the whole time. Uh-huh. Right? Like, yeah, but I like that there's that moment in the beginning that's just giving you like a like you. It's one of those things I have it to say you watch for it, but it's also the just the thing where your brain's just like, wait, why are we out front? Yeah, and it's not a clumsy cut. Like this is this you know directed by Cole McCarthy, who I'm not familiar with, but he knew what he was doing. He's triggering you to be like, there's something here, and I thought that was really cool. I loved uh, the thing that a lot of these Black Mirror episodes have, um, like the autonomous pizza truck. I love the little touch of this uh, unfoldable charging pad that you can just put on the back of your car <laughs> right. and charge your yeah. electric car. Just the like the casual, mm-hmm. offhanded, throwaway tech moments. And the, this series is replete with those. It, it, it's yeah. so neat how you know each one of those could sort of almost be its own full idea that you could explore. And yet 
they just pepper them in and they all seem like, oh, yeah, I can see that happening. It's awesome. And also like vaguely realistic, like, well, it's going to take two hours. Better uh, go do something now because yeah. that is that is kind of the state of electric car charging right now, even. Uh, but with a panel like that, you're like, yeah. I kind of wonder, I was thinking to myself uh, as I was watching the first episode, USS Calistar, I was thinking to myself, mm-hmm. do the production designers get tired of needing to design a new future for every episode? <laughs> it's like every episode there needs to be some production design elements that yeah. that paint this as a unique world. Well, they've uh, sort of settled on this like little dot that plugs into the side of your head. Yeah, that, that definitely, like this this season more than other seasons I feel like has carried ideas through the episodes you know like inventions and concepts through the episodes um Mm -hmm. so i really appreciated that so overall sounds like uh i I mean in my book it's there were there are a couple episodes that were just great right Um, for sure yeah uh uss callister hang the dj i thought those were great black museum very good Mm -hmm. uh metalhead pretty good and then two episodes that were like not super great. Although I know you liked Crocodile Christie, um, but uh, I, I know it's not popular. I've seen I've seen enough on Twitter that I know people are not super into it. But I don't know. I feel like give it another shot. It's, I think it's pretty interesting. The second I love time around. the look of Crocodile. Yeah, I, I like the I'd look of it, and just for that cinematography. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm just a fan of Andrea Risebro and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. her work and. Uh, she's very very chilling in that episode, and yeah. So yeah. Uh, it seems like only stuff like that. That that stuff, if you go to Iceland, it's going to happen. You yeah. you you, like, you can't help. You go. Have we not uh, read or seen the girl with the dragon tattoo? Yeah, like, exactly. That That's crazy the over thing, there. Only yeah. thing I know about Iceland is that that shit happens there because you go ice crazy. I think it's really cold. <laughs> it's really dark ice, I think and... it's called ice madness. Actually, Jeff, ice madness. Um, yeah, exactly. But uh, ice crazy. Yeah, yes. I mean, this is this is basically like six mini movies right of which there have been mm-hmm. two to three that were really great pretty and good. i would love i would love a uh, record like that you know if i could make yeah, six movies sure. and three of them were great i'd be like that's pretty good um I, I think moving forward though like what i had mentioned before like i feel like we're beginning to see the crack showing like uh, just from charlie brooker having to write this many episodes within like right. a year or two years. So like maybe, maybe do two, maybe do three, mm-hmm. but let bring, let's bring in some more people. Let's get, let's get some more ideas flowing. Cause as much as I love uh, like the twilight zone and you know, that was, that was all a much of a showpiece for Rod Serling. There were many great sci-fi authors contributing to that right. show. And I think it really was stronger for it. So but there's that. Yeah. There's a whole list of new ideas here. That I've got to read in my Cockney accent. Uh, <laughs> Twenty-seven more ideas. <laughs> well, I mean, another thing that would be interesting because something we're seeing more of now is that they're bringing in directors who have kind of a thumbprint, yes. like Jodie Foster, yes. like David Slade, like John Hillcoat. And I'd like, like, I I hope they continue in that vein. But mm-hmm. similarly, I hope that that also means that they could bring in like sci-fi writers that we have now that could like work with Brooker because. It's amazing that he writes every script, or at least in part. But I think, like you know, if the show is going to continue to grow, I think it would be cool if he could, you know, mm-hmm. farm a couple of things out. I think it'd be really interesting to see what some modern sci-fi authors want to add to yeah. the world of Black Mirror. Oh, and Christy, you had mentioned uh, Cole McCarthy, who directed uh, Black Museum. He also directed The Girl with All the Gifts, which is a really great mm-hmm. little okay. That's why I knew UK his name. Sci-fi thing. Yeah. So, and that's, that's I think not that's included just streaming. in their press release, which is crazy because that, that movie is was weird. really good. Girl yeah. with all the gifts. I've heard it's great. I haven't had a chance to check it out yet, but uh, looking forward to doing so. I think here's the thing about the season: uh, none of it was bad from a uh, 
concept standpoint, right? Sure, like sure. every single concept in every episode was interesting in some way. It is just the execution, the follow through that was weak in a couple of the episodes. The plot so, mechanics. Yeah, I so think, I, yeah. I agree with you that maybe like cranking out six mini movies in a year is unrealistic. Yeah, ask especially when to one is like three movie plots worth of uh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he just had so many yeah. ideas. He just like shoved them all into this one episode. So, uh, all right. Pen Gillette contributed to that episode yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah, like, the, was, the Doctor The Doctor episode. Like, yeah, it, it was one story, of his yeah. ideas. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Let's wrap up. Uh, find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Christy Puchko, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? I write all over, so um, the easiest way to keep track of me is at Twitter.com, where I am at Christy Puchko, K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. And you can find career highlights including like all my reviews and interviews at decadentcriminals.com, which is just a blog I maintain because since I write everywhere, it's easier to just collect stuff. Cool. Decadentcriminals.com. I'll check it out. Mm. Uh, Devendra Hardware? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra and AreaBetecaAndGadget.com. Check out all, all my coverage from CES because uh, that's done. I'm recovering. Very cool. And Jeff Kanata? Uh, lots of shows, uh, lots of video game stuff. The one thing I will plug this week, if you watch Netflix and, uh, you know, because you've watched Black Mirror, maybe you also subscribe to Hulu. And if so, check out my Hulu show. Uh, it is only available on Hulu, but it's uh, all about esports. It's called Defining Moments. And uh, there are six episodes, hoping to make more of those. So give it a watch and let me know what you think when you watch it. I'm at Jeff Kanata on Twitter, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Find me on Twitter at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y, and at DaveChen.net. Next week, we will be reviewing The Phantom Thread, the new P.T. Anderson movie. So lots to dive into there. Thanks for listening this week to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We'll see you later. We watch the-